to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel 15 and 16. And the last time, the message was titled, What Do You Seek? What do you seek? Right? In John chapter 1, Jesus was already amassing a following. And at one point, he turns around to those who are following him and says, What do you seek? You know, people come to churches, they check out religions, they check out denominations, and what what is it? Right? Why do people seek after these things? Is it for a relationship with God? And that's what Jesus did. He tried to get his followers to look within themselves and make sure that they were seeking for the right reasons, right? God created us. He set us forth with free will. And uh, if we come back to him, it's because we've chosen to come back to him, although he does draw us. Uh, but he, can't, he won't force us to do that. And that's the beautiful thing about love. Love is never forced. So you can get that for free off the website. And also, if you're uh, new to the church, we do have a church Facebook group where we get to kind of give out announcements in real time. Today, the message is titled, Forget or Fruit? Forget or Fruit? Well, unfortunately for the Israelites in 6th century uh, BC, and you can look at history books and see that this is the case, they ended up sadly forgetting their God, their creator, their spiritual husband. And we're going to look at this, right? Sometimes people do that today. They stray from God. And, and I always say that a relationship with God is always dynamic. It's never static. At any point in, our to- uh, in time in our lives, from day to day, we're either moving closer to God or maybe we're, we become estranged from him, not on his uh, end, but on our own end. Uh, forget or fruit. Um, If we haven't forgotten him and we are staying close to him, then we do produce spiritual fruit. And that's been a question people ask. What is spiritual fruit? So we're going to cover that today. We're going to look at this in five parts. We're going to go into chapter 16 first and then 15. I want to end on a high note. Um, No big deal because in the prophetic books, you can go through the prophetic books and God sees time all together. He's outside of time. We look at linearly, but all the prophetic books have, as you're going through the chapters, um, doesn't, the later chapters can sometimes, depending on what he's talking about, come before chronologically the former chapter. So we're going we're gonna to do all this. We're going to make sense of it. And um, pretty soon we're going to be out of the historical part. Bear with us. And we're going to head heavily into the prophecy. What's going on today in 2021? What's going on in the Middle East in our world? What does the Bible say about it? I think you'll be amazed to see that 2,600 years ago, he pretty much, if he's God, he totally nails the geopolitical situation. And we're going to cover that as we get into the later chapter. So I'm going to read this a little on a quick pace because it is really a story. There's a lot of repetition, and that was for the children of Israel. But I'm just going to pull out the salient points in each section. So chapter 16, again, the, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations and say, Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, Your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. As for your nativity on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut. 
Nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt or swathed in swaddling clothes. These were the customs that, at the time that people did to care for babies uh, that were just born before there were hospitals. No, I pitied you uh, to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you, but you were thrown out into an open field. When you yourself were loathed on the day you were born, and when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field as you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. Your breasts were formed, your hair grew, so a picture of maturity, but you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and looked upon you, indeed your time was the time for, of love. So I spread my wing or my garment over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord God. Then I washed you in water. Yes, I thoroughly washed off your blood, and I anointed you with oil. I clothed you in embroidered cloth, gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a jewel in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate pastry of fine flour, honey, and oil. You were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to royalty. Your fame went out among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through my splendor, which I had bestowed upon you, says the Lord God. Okay, so one out of five is God establishes a covenant, a testament, an agreement with the nation of Israel. Now... It is a little bit of a learning curve to go between your mother was a Hittite, you know, what's all this stuff? Your mother was another nation, um, but you were in your blood. Um, So you you have these metaphors, these birth and, you know, uh, coming to maturity metaphors mixed in with historical fact. So God uses these metaphors to help her and us understand what's actually going on. Metaphors are very helpful. Jesus did this with the parables. So verse 3, he gives the historical beginnings of the nation of Israel. 4 and 5, he portrays Israel as an unwanted child, abandoned after birth and without proper care. Verses 6 through 13, the metaphor of Israel being rescued and adopted by God. And because of that, the baby matured. But if you notice, she was still naked. So naked, right, metaphorically is a picture of vulnerability, right? As a fledgling nation, as a new nation, she was vulnerable to surrounding nations who were her, some of them were her enemies. Verse 8, now the metaphors change, and Israel's portrayed as a woman of marrying age. He covers her with his garment. It's a picture of Ruth and Boaz, right? The Hebrew custom of, you know, the man and the woman doing this custom Um, preparing themselves to both agree to marry each other. She's adorned with clothing, jewelry, fine food. Again, he makes this, if we're talking about God, he makes this marriage covenant with the nation of Israel as if she's, you know, a woman of marrying age, right? He becomes her spiritual husband. Verse 9, the washing of the water. We see this regarding God's word. Israel gets the law. She understands what God's word is. She's supposed to be a light, and in many cases she was. But in many cases she failed to the surrounding nations to say, this is God. You guys are worshiping animals and half human, half animals. This is God, the personal God. Know him. Um, 
he anoints her with oil. This is a spiritual anointing. So the, the metaphors can be subtle, but they can be very powerful when you read them. Verse 13, she succeeds to royalty, right? The monarchy, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, the expansion of the kingdom. Who would have ever thought that this little fledgling nation would have expanded so greatly? Verse 14, if you study history, you'll find that it's a fascinating thing, even from secular historians, to see the success of the nation of Israel. How could this be? Well, of course, they don't have God. They don't understand it. It was God. Folks, we have to be careful in our lives, especially when we know the Lord, when we do well in life, when we're blessed, when we do well amongst our peers and you know, maybe in our workplace or whatever, right? Or our character or reputation. You know, I always make it a a point, and I was taught this by my pastor, to give the glory to God. When you start taking that glory for yourself, that's when you start to, it's subtle, but that's when you start to tank. Because, um, you know, I know for me personally, when I look in the mirror, if there's anything good that I am, it's because of God, Right? Amen. But Israel had forgotten this. So let's continue. Next block. 15. This is really the sad part. We'll get through this. But you trusted in your own beauty. You played the harlot because of your fame and poured out your harlotry and everyone passing by who would have it. You took some of your garments and adorned multicolored high places for yourself and played the harlot in them. Such things should not happen nor be. You've also taken your beautiful jewelry from my gold and my silver, which I gave to you, and made for yourself male images and played the harlot with them. So the nation uh, commits a spiritual adultery with her spiritual husband, who's God. You can see his heart in this as it, it breaks. Verse 18, you took your embroidered garments and covered them and set my oil and my incense before them. Also, my food, which I gave you, the pastry of fine flour, oil, and honey, which I fed you. You said it before, them is a sweet incense. And so it was, says the Lord God. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters whom you bore to me. And these you sacrificed them, this is literal, to be devoured. Were your your acts of harlotry a small matter, that you have slain my children and offered them up by causing them to pass through the fire? And in all your abomination and acts of harlotry, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare, struggling in your blood. Then it was so, after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, says the Lord God, that you also built for yourself a a shrine and made a high place for yourself in every street. You built your high places. These are these high places of pagan worship. So they were just putting them everywhere. At the head of every road, made your beauty to be abhorred. You offered yourself to everyone who passed by and multiplied your acts of harlotry. You also committed harlotry with the Egyptians, your very fleshly neighbors, and increased your acts of harlotry to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretched out my hand against you, diminished your allotment, and gave you up to the will of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines who were ashamed of your lewd behavior. You also played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were insatiable. Indeed, you played the harlot with them and still were not satisfied. Moreover, you multiplied your acts of harlotry as far as the land of the traitor, Chaldea, who later become the Babylonians, and even then you were not satisfied. How degenerate is your heart, says the Lord God, seeing you do all these things, the deeds of a brazen harlot. You erected your shrine at the head of every road and built your high place in every street. 
You were not like a harlot because you scorned payment. You were an adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. Men make payments to all harlots, but you made your payments to your lovers. That's a very interesting point. And hired them to come to you from all around for your harlotry. You are the opposite of other women in your harlotry because no one solicited you to be a harlot. In that you gave payment, but no payment was given you. Therefore, you are the opposite. So two out of five is Israel breaks her covenant with God. And sadly enough, this is an adultery metaphor. We see this in the book of Hosea. Actually, we were just talking about this in devotions downstairs in the children's ministry uh, with, the, with the teachers, not the kids. So, uh, but the, the book is a very interesting book, right? A lot is said in that book, how it mirrors Hosea's life with his unfaithful wife, mirrored Israel's relationship with her God. So 15 through 18, who were her lovers? They were the false gods of the other nations. Again, the animal gods, the freakish gods, the hybrid gods that don't exist. You know, you had the truth, you had God, the personhood of God, and you go to these inanimate objects and make these shrines. Verses 19 through 21, Israel, again, in case anyone feels sorry for what God had to do, and people do, and they say, oh, God's mean when they read the Bible out of context, but... The people, and it wasn't just a few, were taking their newborns, and I can't even say it with graphic detail, but they were burning them alive to these false images, these false demonic deities. And you know what God considered the kids? It's been said that God has no grandchildren or great-grandchildren. He just has children. So he was saying to the parents, how could you do this? You know, you, I, I opened your wombs. I made you fertile. The, the population increased. And then this is what you do to your kids. And God said, my children, my children. So he had to judge those people for what they were doing to their own kids. It was horrible. Verse 22, paraphrase, do you remember where you came from? You know, and you see this sometimes even in life with, it could be an unfaithful husband, could be an unfaithful wife. You know, the one spouse helps that person get on their feet and then they rise maybe in their jobs or their uh, standing in the community or politics. And then they leave the spouse who was kind of the silent person who got them to that place in, in to begin with. So we're seeing a spiritual metaphor of something that you, you and I have seen if you've lived long enough in other other people's lives. It's sad. And Israel abandons the living God. Verses 23 through 33, there's a lot, um, and it's repetitive, but she played the harlotry with Egypt, Assyria, Chaldea, and basically, um, you know, it just was, instead of being pro-God, right, if it was a political party, the factions back then in Israel were, we're pro-Assyria. Assyrians were horrible people, brutal, cruel society. You know, we're pro-Egypt, who, like he said, were fleshly. They were very worldly. They also didn't have God. Um, Or pro-Chaldea or pro-Babylonian. The people started more and more becoming less pro-God and more pro-these political alliances. Solomon, unfortunately, married all these wives and... Uh, from different lands to, to that's how they secured covenants back then. Well, we're not going to evade them and they're not going to evade us because we have a marriage where, you know, we, we took the wife, uh, you know, willingly of that land. So we're going to have a treaty with them. 
right? So this is what the Israelites were starting to do. They were being worldly. The Bible talks to us as Christians about not being worldly. And it's a subtle slide, folks. Verse 27, he says that the daughters of the Philistines were ashamed of your behavior. You know life is bad when your pagan, unbelieving, idolater neighbors are ashamed by your behavior and you're supposed to be a person of God. Isn't this sometimes the complaint about churches? Right? You know, I, oh, I went to this one church and I couldn't believe the stuff that was going on there. You know, you call yourself a Christian or this person is supposed to be a Christian. They ripped me off. Um, I mean, our behavior, we're supposed to be submitted to the word of God, folks. We're not supposed to be acting like everybody out there. Have I personally been ripped off financially because I wanted to keep my witness or not stumble somebody who was a weaker person? It was worth the money to lose because I, I maintained, listen, I'm not perfect. I blow my witness at times, but you know, you, you lose out at times when you're trying to do it right. Cause you're, you're dealing with the world who's aggressive and is manipulative, right? But we're not supposed to be acting like them, which is the point. Verse 34 is powerful. What God was saying, sometimes I read the notes and I'm like, how am I going to say this? <laughs> All right. So it's a little bit graphic. With prostitution, one person gives something to receive a financial gain. So in this spiritual metaphor, God was saying, you're not even like the other prostitutes with your behavior. You, you give the service and you also give the money and you get nothing in return. What does it matter with you? Can I tell you something, folks? Sin will take everything from you, including your dignity and your self-respect. He was talking to the nation, the people collectively, but God was saying, this is how I call it. And you got to listen to what I'm saying. They were so depraved that they gave away their services. And instead of receiving payment, they gave away their money too. And the other person got the double benefit and had to give up nothing. So, you know, I mean, I, I meet people... And they have powerful testimonies. I met this one guy, and he's like, listen, I was, I was literally high in the gutter with nothing left. Everybody left me, and, and I was a moment away from losing my life, he said. And I gave my heart to Jesus, and everything changed. It's amazing how God can restore the years the locusts have eaten. So here's the beautiful thing, folks. You might be sitting here or watching on uh, the live stream and saying, I have. This is me. I've ruined my life. But why does God say this? Because he, he wanted them to turn around and turn back towards him. And he would restore those years. And many did, but many didn't. Unfortunately, the majority didn't. So, yes, warning equals love in the Bible. And the Israelites would have heard it from so many angles from Ezekiel, they, the light bulb would have gone on. You had to be completely dense not to realize what God was saying here. So um, I look at this too in that, and again, let me, here's a caveat. Sin can be forgiven. This is a, a picture of total and willful abandonment from God. It was a choice. We want nothing to do with you. But you know what? Years later, they did repent, and God started to work on them again. God is a very loving, and, you know, we're going to talk about repentance, too. 
But, you know, we have to know where we came from, too. We have to know, it's not just the Israelites. I know who I was before I was a Christian. I know my faults. I know them very well. I didn't forget almost 30 years later. I know what I used to do. And I owe everything to God. He did clean me up. He did rub me with salt. He did say live spiritually. He did say I am going to restore those broken years. So it's, you know, once you you stay with that framework, you're going to do very well in life. Continuing on, verse 35. It gets better. (laughs) This is, this is another tough section, then we get to the good parts. That's why I flipped, I transposed, juxtaposed the chapters. Now then, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, God, because your filthiness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered and your harlotry with your lovers and all of your abominable idols and because of the blood of your children which you gave to them, surely therefore I will gather all of your lovers with whom you took pleasure, all those you loved, all those you hated, I will gather them from around against you and will uncover your nakedness to them and they may see all your nakedness. Which makes no sense if there was adultery, but watch the metaphor. I'm going to get to the metaphor. Once you understand the metaphors, it unlocks the understanding to the whole, the whole book. I will judge you as women who break wedlock or shed blood or judge. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. I will also give you into their hand, and they shall throw down your shrines and break down your high places. They shall also strip you of your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry, and leave you naked and bare. Which is where she started, if we're looking at metaphors. You know, you want want to hang with this crew? You want these people? I'm extricating myself from the situation. Have at it. But I'm telling you what, what your life is going to look like. And we've done this, right? Uh, those of us who are trying to walk with the Lord and someone's going in the wrong direction. And you have this little pep talk with them and say, this is what your life looks like if you keep going. And they, they don't believe it because they're spiritually deceived. They shall also bring up an assembly against you. They shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. All those treaties you made, not going to matter. They shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. I will make you cease playing the harlot, and you shall no longer hire lovers. So I will lay to rest my fury towards you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be quiet and be angry no more. It's going to run its course. Because you did not remember the days of your youth, but agitated me with all these things. Surely I will also recompense your deeds on your own head, says the Lord God. And you shall not commit lewdness in addition to all your abominations. Continuing on to, okay, indeed, everyone who quotes Proverbs will use this proverb against you like mother, like daughter. You are your mother's daughter, loathing husband and children, and you are the sister of your sisters who loathe their husbands and children. Your mother was a Hittite and your father was an Amorite. Your elder sister is Samaria who dwells with her daughters to the north of you, and your younger sister who dwells to the south of you is Sodom and her daughters. You did not walk in the ways in their ways nor act according to their abominations, but if, if that was too little, you became more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor your daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. A lot of people have this idea of what Sodom and Gomorrah was like, but they forget that they were, they oppressed the common person and the poor. You don't hear that a lot 
But that's the truth. Sodom had a lot of problems, and this was one of them. God was very offended by that. They were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Samaria did not commit half of your sins, but you have multiplied your abominations more than they. They have justified your sisters by all the abominations which you have done. You who judge your sisters bear your own shame also, because the sin which you committed were more abominable than theirs. Yet they are more righteous than you. Yes, be disgraced also and bear your own shame because you justified your sisters. When I bring back their captives, the captives of Sodom and the daughters and the captives of Mary and her daughters that will also bring back the captives of your captivity among them that you may bear your own shame and be disgraced by all that you did when you comforted them when your sister Sodom and her daughters return to their former state and Samaria and her daughters return to their former state then you and your daughters will return to your former state for your sister Sodom was not a byword in the mouth in your mouth in the days of your pride before your wickedness was uncovered it was like the time of the reproach of the daughters of syria and all who were around her and the daughters of the philistine who despise you everywhere i'm going to make sense of this that's not in the bible i'm just adding that i'm going to make sense of this you have paid for your lewdness and your abomination says the lord for thus says the lord god i will deal with you as you have done who despise the oath break breaking the covenant that's probably one of the longest sections I ever read in one, one, one mouthful. So three out of five is we are going back and forth between the metaphor of lewd behavior um, and two, Israel leaving the true God for false gods and three, the historical fulfillment of Babylon on the nation because of God removing his protective hand, so to speak. So he says, uncover your nakedness. Now that's a metaphor for exposing the evil and making the nation vulnerable again. So by her behavior, right, we looked at the innocence and unwanted child and put out in the field. What and then Israel rises to prominence. She's adorned with jewelry and the fine she's royalty right she's got a name among the nations but because of what she's doing she loses everything and sort of goes back to that naked metaphor where she's vulnerable again now just to put this in perspective nakedness in public in the bible was a picture of shame today it's a multi-billion dollar industry i'm just saying so you know again it's my job to look at the culture that we live in, oh, big deal, what is this, you know? But when you go back to that time period, you're like, oh, that, that had a powerful impact. Today, it's whatever, social media, billboards, it's just everywhere. Verse 39 through 41. Again, Israel thought she would be crafty. She would hedge her bets. Yeah, it's good to have God, but let's make all these treaties with these these. Um, questionable nations and god says they're going to turn on you anyway again it's listen you 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 live a life of crime you you hang with um, people of low character eventually they eat you right they eat their own especially if they get busted and they have a a moment to to get ahead they will throw you under the bus right i mean i i ran with some now i understand when i was growing up in you know, in New York, and my mom didn't want me to hang around with certain people. Um, I grew a beard early, and I got tall early. I looked mature for my age when I was a teenager. And my mom, man, my stepfather, they were on me. 
And I didn't understand why. Now I know because I look back at some of the dudes I was going to hang with and you're not hanging out with that guy. I'm like, ma, come on. He's a great guy. I couldn't see it. (laughs) Okay. Verses 44 through 56. These are family metaphors like mother, like daughter. Like father, like son. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? They're colloquialisms. Your sister is Samaria. Your younger sister is Sodom. You have to look at the sin of Samaria, which was judged by Assyria in 722 BC, and then the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adma and Zeboim, the four cities uh, in that area that were also judged. So God is making a sin comparison, but he's also making a familial comparison, metaphorically. Okay, Um, I I have to say that there is an expression today. It's called blood is thicker than water. I grew up in a dysfunctional home and nobody knew God. Right. And I found my way through alcohol and certain friends and and such. And my family had their familial sins. And when I found out who Jesus was, I realized that I had to, I wanted my family to get saved. I didn't disown them, but I had to make a break from that dysfunctional upbringing and I had to turn towards him or I wouldn't be here today, right? So you see these uh, familial type of metaphors and people have it today. Blood is, you ever watch like A&E and Core TV and like there was one lady, she was the matriarch of this family and had her sons and daughters all commit these crimes eventually they realized after being in, you know, after the law enforcement got a hold of them and, and the depth of it, they turned on their own mother. But they, shame on them, they allowed this woman who was now in her 60s to control and manipulate her children. So you see these familial type of metaphors and being formerly in law enforcement, I saw them firsthand. You got to break away from these people. Blood, this blood and thicker than water nonsense is nonsense. And even Jesus covers this in the scripture. So what he was saying is that, you know, I, you weren't even wanted Israel. You were thrown into the field. You were struggling in your own blood. But I said, live, I cleaned you up. I made you what you are today. And you're going back to your own vomit. Are we clear on that? Right. And folks, we've been Christians long enough. We've seen it. Maybe it's been with us. Maybe we've seen it in other people. It's heartbreaking because they don't, it's not break, it's not getting through. You know, who is our crew? Who are we running with? Who do we hang out with outside of church? Are they bringing us down spiritually or are we a positive influence for them? So, and again, I, I, listen, I'll talk to anybody. I don't look down on anyone. However, if I'm with a group that's constantly trying to get me away from, oh, lighten up, have a little fun. I do have fun. It's just not the fun that you're having. That's all. It's a different type of fun. So uh, verse 60, last few verses. Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth. I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and younger sisters, for I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you. And then you will know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I provide you an atonement for all that you have done, says the Lord. It sounds harsh. Um, the Hebrew 
the translation to English, it's, it's totally there, but they write in a different way than we, you know, it, it's, again, it's, my son says to me, you said it's a learning curve three times in your last sermon. At least he's paying attention. <laughs> so, but it is a learning curve, you know, the, the Hebrew poetry and the way it's written, very different from the, the, um, the Grecian type of um, way things are presented in the New Testament. And God used those cultures to get his point across to as many people as he could. So four out of five is God forgives and restores, right? Um, they had to understand the gravity of, the, of what they were doing. And you know what's funny? In Luke 17, Jesus says, if your brother sins, um, rebuke him. Uh, and, and rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he does it again, do it again. You know what's very important? Sometimes you get the wrong impression in some sermons. Oh, just forgive. Just, you know, there's got to be an element. You can forgive, but there really, in order for there to be a restored relationship, there has to be an element of repentance. And repentance just means turning. Because if the behavior and the mindset doesn't turn, they don't see what they did, then it starts all over again. And it never ends. And then sometimes, and it's a fine line between love and enabling somebody. And we've all experienced that. And you pray, Lord, am I enabling them or am I loving them? You know, sometimes the lines can get blurry. So we love people, but repentance has to be key, not just because we don't want to be irritated, but for their life to improve. And this is a big thing. You got to, he's saying to Israel, listen, shame, ashamed. You got to be ashamed of this and you got to repent. And boy, I want to, I want to bless you. I want to pick you up again. I want to clean you up. I want to restore you. So that's important. Verse 15. So now we're going to 15, which I say for last. Five out of five here. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, how is the wood of the vine better than any other wood? The vine branch, which is among the trees of the forest. I'm a, I'm a nature outdoorsy person. I've seen, you know, the vines hanging and the mighty oaks, and there's different applications what you can use them for. Is wood taken from it, the vine, to make any object? Or can men make a peg from it to hang any vessel? Vines are flimsy. Indeed, it is thrown into the fire for fuel. The fire devours both both ends of it, and its middle is burned. Is it useful for any work, especially after it's burned? It's not even good for good fuel, a vine not good for much, but we're going to talk about what it is good for. Indeed, when it was whole, no object could be made from it. How much less will it be useful for any work when the fire has devoured it and it burned? Therefore, says the Lord God, like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so I will give the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will set my face against them. They will go out from one fire, but another fire shall devour them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. Thus, I will make the land desolate because they have persisted in unfaithfulness, says the Lord God. So many metaphors. I mean, I, you know, when you, when you deal with somebody who's ruining their lives, don't you, like God, don't you say it in different ways? You kind of put on different hats, you know. I, I, I'm, all right, forget about, I'm preaching to you. I just, I'm just your friend. Listen to me, you know what I'm saying? Um, or somebody, or let me take that hat off. You know, I experience what you're experiencing. I don't want you to go down the same road I did. It's so painful. So God just keeps shifting these metaphors 
to help them understand this better. What is this thing with this parable of the vine? Five out of five. One, Israel was the vine to God who provided the source. And Israel was supposed to provide spiritual fruit, which she did at times. Two, Isaiah 5, we see the same imagery of the vine and the children of Israel. Three, in the New Testament, in Luke 20, Jesus uses the vine imagery, but a little bit of a twist. He speaks about the vine, but he's focused on the vine dressers. And what Jesus was doing was saying that your religious leaders are leading you down the wrong path. The vine dressers were actually evil. So they were deceiving the people. They did a lot of it on their own, spiritually, and Jesus had a problem with that in Luke 20. Four, in John 15, Jesus uses the vine now to express himself, the source, but the believers as branches. So still a very similar metaphor of a vine, but Jesus is now the source. The branch is still part of the vine. But what do all these things have in common? Fruit. You go through, the, you know, even the wooded area. If a vine isn't producing fruit, it's really not good for anything unless you're Tarzan. Okay, just, let's, just, let's just move on from there. <laughs> you get my point, okay? You get my point. And um, what is spiritual fruit? You know, pastors sometimes have different ideas, but, it's, but you know it when you see it. You know it when you produce it. Spiritual fruit is their words, but they have to be backed up by deeds in a lifestyle that emanates from a relationship with the Lord. So my wife, it's so funny, I keep her apprised. I, I joined this gym. We moved not that long ago because I'm a cheapskate with myself. So it was really cheap. So I go to the gym, and the staff is mostly in their 20s. And they're all, you know, it probably doesn't pay much. They're all looking for something better. And, you know, I just, I don't know if it was a Lord or me, but I just started everybody, they go in, they do they're in, they walk past them. So I start talking to them, and um, I start to get to know them. I get to know their names. I start to pray for them. I see one's got a knee brace. What's wrong with your leg? I'll pray for you. I've given out scripture cards. I brought them food. This is just like, it just started happening. And this has been going on now for months. And uh, one of the young men, I I don't want to say names because they all have my card. They might be listening. I didn't ask their permission. Um, So I take him aside and he's like, I got this opportunity. Now he finds me. I'm all their father's age. I don't know their relationship with their dads, but sort of like now I, I mean something in their lives. Young man comes over, he goes, I, I got this opportunity to go to New York, and da 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 And um, he's done, and I said, listen, never forget who you are inside. I said, also, never forget where you came from. He goes, that's why I talk to you. <laughs> so, you know, um, listen, have I shared Jesus? Have I shared scripture? Have I prayed with them? Did I take all seven of them and get them down on their knees in the gym and lead them to Jesus? No. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is you can do what I do. That's not hard. All I'm doing is I'm getting to know them and they're responding to that. This is a hopeless world. I love talking to young people. And I got to say that people my age and older, sometimes 
our generation can be intimidated by the youth, but we shouldn't be. You know, God designed us to help them. You know, we, we've gained a lot of the knowledge, the wisdom from usually banging ourselves up in life. Why not put that to good use and share that wisdom with the younger generation? So spiritual fruit, it just, it just happens. Oh, I'm the pastor. I can do this. You, that's nonsense. A title means nothing. We can all love people. And believe me, in my heart, I want to, I want to lead somebody to Jesus, but it doesn't, it doesn't present itself, and I don't want to push them away. But they definitely have enough information that if they want to come to Christ, they know how to do it, and they know where to go. Amen? So spiritual fruit, sometimes people look at the big Christian ministries and go, I could never do that. Well, you probably couldn't. I could probably never do that either. You have to look at spiritual fruit in something. Listen, before I was a Christian, I would have walked past them, like, and no offense if they're watching, I was a different person. I would have walked past them, dude, put my card out and gone to the gym and gotten out of there because I didn't think about other people besides me. I was selfish. So, you know, God was just saying to the Israelites, he expected it from them. He also expects it from us. I want to read to you John 15, because it's so powerful. Uh, You know, I'm just going to take a little bit out of here because I, I did teach this. It's on the archives. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Right. Different metaphor. Luke 20, the vine dressers in that metaphor. They were the religious leaders leading people astray here. Jesus is the vine God the Son, God the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Pruning hurts that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branch. Folks, he's speaking to us. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. Remember the other metaphors? It's really not hard to produce spiritual fruit. It just comes out of a relationship with God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Amen? It's powerful stuff. I have so many notes here, but it, listen, I don't have to keep going over it. Um, unfortunately, back to the children of Israel, the, the multiple burns were going to come when the Babylonians kept invading, and that's a historical fact, so that came true. Everything that God says does. Um, if we don't have a relationship with the Lord, it's it's, you can't really bear spiritual fruit, whether you're talking about them or you're talking about us. Um, listen, forget or fruit. You know, we're seeing a lot of sadness in our culture and in the world because we have a, a culture, right? We have a world that's largely, I guess you could say post-Christian, if I could use that term, especially leaders, governors, mayors, presidents, monarchs, they have no use for Jesus, but Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
So it's like, well, we want peace on earth, right? But you're pushing out the one who can give you peace on earth. So things, sadly enough, from a, a, a large scale are, are going to be problematic. But as Christians, we still need to not forget the Lord. We need to bear fruit. And that is through an individual application is, is where am I today? Now, if I'm estranged from God and it's just a cold relationship, it isn't God who moved. It's me. But the beautiful thing about this is God always gives the opportunity to repent or even rededication. We do that sometimes after service. Stand up and, you know, just I'll pray over you and we'll pray and ask the Lord for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. God is a good God. If these people at this time period could do such wicked things and God could still restore them, he can do that with us. So I just want to be very, very careful. Sometimes people come to the church and they're not theologians. It's fine. And they just want to make sure that they're not so far. But you don't understand, Pastor Joe, what I'm into. If I told you, you would be disappointed in me. No, I wouldn't. I would want to lead you to Jesus. Right? God loves you. God loves everybody here. God loves everybody who's watching. God loves everybody in the world. Um, and I just need to, I can't impress that enough. So... Where are you today? If you're not in the right place, turn back to him. And let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.